Well, let's give him a big hand. Jesus is worthy, the Lord Jesus Christ, worthy of our praise. Well, if your spouse is here, give him a late Valentine's Day hug. Tell him, I'm glad I married you. And everybody else, just say hey to someone. Well, God is good, huh? Life is sometimes bad, but God is always good. I want to do something uh, this morning that's a bit different. Uh, normally, normally in my preaching, uh, I find a theme, something I feel the Holy Spirit wants me to communicate, and we just kind of deal with one thing. But this morning, I'd like to endeavor to try to teach you the whole Old Testament in one message. Uh, so we're going to have to kind of get in quick. My style will be a little bit different. I'll read a lot. But I want to give you a sense this morning of the message of the whole Bible. Next week, we'll do the New Testament. And, uh, but I want to start this morning in 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul writes to his son in the faith, and he said, How from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings. Can you say sacred writings? Now, this is the Old Testament that's being referred to. And these writings are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's interesting that this New Testament church, the New Testament believers, looked to the Old Testament as their scripture and said, in that scripture, in the Old Testament, you'll find Jesus and you can find the path of faith for salvation. He went on to tell us, verse 16, all scripture is breathed out by God, that it is given by inspiration of God, which means God inspired men to write his word. Which simply tells us at the time of this writing, the Old Testament was recognized as the Jewish canon. It was recognized as God's scripture. It took till about the end of the, third, end of the fourth century to when the New Testament, 27 books of the New Testament, were also recognized by the church fathers as scripture. So what you hold today in the Bible, Old and New Testament, is the Word of God, relevant for the church, and, and it is applicable to live our lives by, to learn from, to see the ways, to see the ways of God. Now, uh, and, and there's two words about the Bible that we should understand. The first is the word, it is authoritative. Let me know if the Bible says of itself, and history supports and agrees, that if the Bible is the word of God, how many know it should be obeyed? The Bible shouldn't be treated the same. If you've got your, you're going to school and your book's in your backpack, you've got history, my book, math book, science book, and the Bible, how many know the Bible is way above everything else? The Bible is above any opinion that we might hear from someone. Uh, the Bible should be greater than my own feelings or decisions. For example, if, I, if, uh, uh, if I'm thinking about, uh, let's say I'm on my computer, and uh, this girl jumps on my computer, and she's you know, kind of shaking a little bit, and something says, go ahead and click there. Well, the Bible should guide me away from immorality. See, if you're at work and you feel like you want to steal some money and nobody knows, it's a sloppy accounting system and you can just skim some cash, well, the Bible should guide you in that decision. I mean, in my opinion, the Bible should guide us in decisions as we pick people in political office. What are their values? So as I share this with you today, hopefully the Bible becomes authoritative in your life, the way you live, your behavior, your attitudes, and your outlook in life. Now, in my message uh, today, what I'm going to do is in summarizing the whole Old Testament, we're going to try to see how it fits together. We're going to see some common themes, but perhaps most importantly, we're going to understand the central person of the whole Bible, which is Jesus Christ. The title of this series is history, uh, the title of the series is The Bible is His Story. 
And I'm going to show you that Jesus Christ is from the pages of Genesis all the way through the book of Revelation. The Bible literally is about Him. So let's jump in together this morning. I'm going to give you four kind of uh, hooks or points to hang these thoughts on. Firstly, we're going to look at an overview of the, of the Old Testament, particularly Bible facts. Then we're going to go to the book of Genesis, the first 11 chapters, and we're going to look out some timeless truths that shape our thinking towards modern issues today. Then we're going to, I'm going to give you a narrative of the Jewish people, God's chosen people. If you, if you, uh, what the Old Testament is really about, it's about their journey with God and, and, and their purpose for their lives. Lastly, we're going to see uh, how Christ is mentioned in Scripture in the Old Testament. So uh, let's begin. The Bible, there's some Bible facts. This Bible that I hold in my hand and you and yours is one book, but it's composed of 66 different books written by over 40 people in 1,600 years. Now that's a mouthful. 40 people, 66 books, 1,600 years, but it bears one central story. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew, the New Testament in, in, in Greek, a little scattering of Aramaic. There are over 2,800 languages, 2817 to be exact, that the Bible, the Hebrew and Greek manuscripts were translated into. English is only one of them. It's the most popular book every year. There's more Bibles printed than any other book on the planet. It's the most popular book in the history of mankind. Of the New Testament, there are over 20,000 ancient manuscripts. Now that's big. 20,000 ancient manuscripts that are not in English, but they're in biblical languages. As a comparison, Caesar's Gallic Wars, there are 10, and Aristotle's Poetics, there's only five. But yet you'll go to a secular history class, and it's almost everything but the Bible has more validity than the Bible when there's more proof for the Bible. If you're asking what is a theme of the Bible, if I could maybe summarize it this way, in one simple sentence, what is the message of the Bible, and it's this. God is preparing people to be with Him for all eternity. Let me say it again. God is preparing people to be with Him for all eternity. Now, if you want a more elongated answer, I'd say this. The eternal, all-powerful God who created mankind is loving and just. Let me say it again. The eternal, all-powerful God who created mankind is loving and just. Man was created to have relationship with God. But man's sin brought judgment and separated us from God. That happened in Genesis 2. The rest of the Bible explains what happens after that. Jesus Christ came so we could be forgiven and enjoy relationship with God for all eternity. And obviously he expects his followers, Old and New Testament, to obey his word and follow him. Now the Old Testament is relevant to us today. I was taught at one time in my life, old is gone, but that's not true. For two main reasons. One is the scripture we read in Timothy, the Bible of the Old Testament, that was their Bible. When they said scripture is inspired by God, he was referring specifically to the Old Testament. But secondly, 1 Corinthians 10, Paul writes to the church at Corinth. Paul said, I don't want you to forget about our ancestors in the wilderness long ago. Now he's talking about Moses, the Jewish people. He's talking about their journey from Egypt to the promised land. And listen to what he says. He said, these things happened to them as examples for us. Now I don't have time to read all the things they did, but they did a lot of stupid things and experienced consequences. And the Bible said, these are examples for you. They were written down to warn us who live at the end of the age. So the Old Testament, very valid for us. It helps form what I call our Christian worldview. And in particular, my second point, the book of Genesis is the book of beginnings. 
If you want to understand how God thinks, if you want to understand, you go and look to the first place of mention in the Bible. And if it's not superseded in some way throughout the Bible, then you stick with that. What I mean by superseded, I mean, no, there was a period of, of, of hundreds of years where a priest would sacrifice an animal, a lamb, to atone for the sins of the people. But when Jesus came, died on the cross and said, it is finished, no longer need for the sacrificial lamb. I mean, no, that was a part of the old covenant, the old system. But there is much, much, much in the Old Testament that's valid for us today. Now, as we begin in Genesis, I want you to think about these points I'll make in terms of today's cultural issues, issues having to do with uh, evolution, abortion, euthanasia, homosexuality, same-sex marriage, hot topics in America assumed by many to be true, but the Bible would show a very different story. Let's begin in Genesis 1-1, God and creation. The first four words of the Bible are over my head, in the beginning, God. Now, if you would understand time, time began in Genesis 1, and time as we know it will be over in Revelation 21. Prior to that, it's what's called eternity past. The God who had no beginning and who had no end. I mean, no, that's over our heads. And, and, and when you think about the fact when God created all that we see out of nothing, well, what was there before He created it? You can't even conceive of nothing because everything we know of life is contained by some time-space continuum. I mean, it just was not. And God said, let there be, and there was in the seven day, six days of creation. Well, but God was preexistent. Now, if time is in the middle where we are, God was over here, and after time is over, every person that's ever lived will be over here in eternity future. Some will be with God in a real place called heaven. Some will be in a place prepared for the devil and his angels called hell. God in the Bible is revealed very clearly. The Scripture says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is one. There is one God. Christianity is monotheistic versus polytheistic religions that believe there are many gods. The, New Te the Bible teaches there's one God, but He reveals Himself in three persons. The Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Uh, maybe convey it to you this way. A water molecule, H2O, it can take on the form of a liquid, a gas, or a solid. It can be ice, it can be steam, or it can be a liquid. Uh, if you were to ask me, is, are you John Miller? I'd say yes. But if you separate my body from my soul, is your body John Miller? Well, it's my body. Is your soul? Well, it's my soul. Uh, your spirit, it forms one. And uh, that's the best I can do as far as the, the Trinity but I, what I want to emphasize is that Jesus is God. He is not a lesser God, as Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses believe, but He is very God. He is God and Creator. John's Gospel, John chapter 1, verse 1, In the beginning was the Word. Now he'll go on in verse 14, and he'll tell us clearly that Christ was the Word of God that became flesh. But Scripture says the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus, God's representation on earth, was very God. And verse 3 tells us, all things were made through Him. So Christ is your creator. Colossians 1.17 says, Christ is the one who holds everything together. He sustains all things. Christ is the power that holds the atom, the nucleus, the uh, electron, the proton. Uh, Christ is the power that keeps gravity in place, that keeps the laws of aerodynamics in place. Christ God Himself is the force that causes these laws of nature that scientists study to exist and to, and to continue to work. Now, a, a, an evolutionist, particularly a secular evolutionist, could believe that things like gases or a giant molecular cloud collapsed and it formed like layers of dirt or dust. They believe this is how the earth was created or, or a big bang. 
Can I tell you, they have more faith than I do. Because they never go back to answer, well, where did the dust come from? Where did the explosion come from? Where did the gas come from? They have no answer. They have a lot of theories, and they're basing their eternal soul on a theory. But believe you, friend, they may have very complex explanations that science has revealed as science unlocks the intricacies of God. I mean, just because you can explain a process God uses to sustain the earth doesn't mean there's not a God. The process came from somewhere. It is very God. It takes more faith to believe that nothing created everything for no purpose rather to believe that God created everything with an eternal purpose. Come on. In six days and on the seventh day He rested. Whether those six days are literal 24 hours or eons of time doesn't matter to me. God is the one that's a creator. Come on, give Him a big hand today. Now, let me give you the second one in Genesis. Where did man come from? I want you to think of your science book, whether it's, a, whether it's a, 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 an elementary and it's simple or whether it's a college book, it's complex. But you've got a little critter coming out of the water or you've got a little cell, an amoeba, an amoeba becomes, I don't know, a rodent, a lizard, a snake or something, and you're evolving up this chain, you've got a gorilla and then you've got you. The only problem is, is they don't have any, any uh, transitional species where, where, where a, a dog is becoming a man, come on now. They don't have that evidence. They don't have evidence of evolution of species becoming other species, but they're trying real, real hard. Now, the Bible says very clearly, God created man in his own image. And as a science person interested in science, you can either start with that and then try to understand how it happened, or you can do everything in your energy, try to explain that away and believe something difficult or different. But the Bible says God created man in his own image. The word image means his nature, his attributes. Uh, we're created with the capacity to love, with the capacity to know and understand truth, the capacity to have spiritual communion with God. And it's that image, by the way, which makes man different from anything else on the planet, any other life form. And it's that image of God, that stamp of God on our life, is why a biblical view is that abortion is wrong. Abortion is the taking of a human life. Why euthanasia, the taking of, a, of, of grandma's life when she's 100 years old and she's wearing a diaper somebody puts on and she doesn't even recognize her kids. She has no functional value, but her value is in that she's created in the image of God. Therefore, society cares for those that are less than uh, a contribution. But we're created in the image of God, and he made them notice, male and female, he created them. And it was that male and female he blessed, and he blessed their marriage. And God said, be fruitful and multiply, that is, have children, fill the earth and subdue it. In other words, man's role is to have dominion over every living thing that moves on the earth. So man is superior to animals, man is superior to plant life and plant form. But in our nation today, our laws are so messed up, an eagle has more rights to exist than a child. A fish somewhere has more rights to exist than the people that depend on the waters for its food. It's like the modern environmental mu uh, movement has almost become a worship of planet Earth. Romans says we worship the crea and serve the creator, or the, cre the creation more than the creator. But the Bible says we were created men and women. Time magazine just figured this out recently. Their cover story, shocking news, men and women are actually born different. Okay, I'm dumb, but I'm not that dumb. Facebook has 56 gender options. 56. You just pick out who you are. 
Listen, the starting place for self-acceptance is accepting yourself as God has made you to be. Whether you're white or black, male or female, come on, tall or short, whatever the case is, accepting ourselves for who God made us to be. We don't have the right, come on, to make ourselves into something we're not. Science may give us the ability to change us from a man into a woman, but God, listen, He creates us male and female, and the beginning place of self-esteem and self-acceptance is accepting yourself as God allowed you to be made and believing that God didn't make a mistake. Come on, somebody say praise the Lord. Now, here's the third one. Marriage is between a man and a woman. Genesis 2.24. Now, this scripture is quoted by Jesus in the New Testament and Paul as well. It says, a man shall leave his father and mother. This is, the, this is what family is in the Bible. His father and mother, and he'll hold fast to who? One woman. One man, one woman, and they'll become one flesh. The one flesh is a picture of sexual intercourse. It's a stretch for me to imagine that some evolution God created the act of sexual intercourse between a man and a woman, okay? Let's don't turn red for a minute, but you think of the pleasure zones, the, the ability to have children, and all that just came from nothing, for no purpose. It is way easier to believe that God made them male and female, come on with a reason to have, to have children. Uh, but family is a man and a woman, a mom and a dad. Therefore, same-sex marriage is an idea contrary to God's Word. It may be at the, at the forefront of political correctness, but it's not biblical. The fourth one, uh, this is an explanation of why there's problems in the world. It's the devil, sin, and the fall of man. Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. Now, prior to Genesis 3, the world was perfect. There were no snakes. There were no biting alligators. There were no taxes to pay. There was no death. There was no bleeding, no broken arms, no divorce, no rape, no murder, none of that stuff. And you know, all that stuff is going to disappear again in Revelation 21. In heaven, there'll be no more dying, crying, pain, sadness. The former things are passed away. But in this period of time, there's a mess, and here's where it started. Somehow, Satan himself, the devil, a fallen angel, embodied the serpent, a snake, and said to Eve, Did God actually say, don't eat of any tree in the garden? Did God actually say that watching pornography will get you in trouble, it'll lead you down into a ditch? Did God actually say that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit and you should keep drugs out of it? Did God actually say that you shouldn't steal money? It belongs to someone else. It's the same thing. And temptation works the same way. And the woman said, Well, God said you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that's in the midst of the garden, one particular tree, neither shall you touch it lest you die. And the serpent said to the woman, A little pornography won't hurt. A little stealing won't hurt. They're taking advantage of you at work. They owe it to you anyway. They're not paying you enough because you're a woman. They're not paying you because you're, you know, whatever, not a minority or are a minority. And these thoughts come to our head, and you know what happened in the story. They ate it, and all of a sudden, the people that had intimate communion with God are hiding from God. They lived in a beautiful garden. It's all over. Pain is in their life. They get a splinter, and they don't have a needle to take it out. They've got to live with it. They, got to get an, they get an ingrown nail. They get a tooth. Come on. And they, have the, and they get cavities, and one of their kids kills the other kids. This past week, I was involved in three funerals. A woman that was a bit older died, lived her life out fully. She went to heaven. There was a young girl, 29 years of age. She had a, 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 a tubal pregnancy. It, uh, it, 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 a blood vessel burst. She died in the car. Uh, there was another woman that used to go to our church years ago and either murder or suicide. 
How, why, is all, why do all these things happen? I'm telling you, it's right here. It's right in the Bible. So if you want to get mad at someone, get right at the right person. Come on, get mad at Satan and the devil and sin. Don't get mad at God. God's a good God that tries to deliver us from the mess. But you can't undo or erase the consequences that follow our actions. Now, this is something that Adam and Eve forgot. They forgot that God has the right to make the rules. And let me remind you today, God has the right to make the rules. Somehow our culture has deified self to the degree that we feel like we're God. But God gets to make the rules, and disobedience has consequences. But let me tell you the wonderful news. When they ate of that forbidden fruit and they were cast from the Garden of Eden, God didn't just throw them away. God, listen, God clothed them with the skins of an animal. Come on, he didn't get a fake coat at Kmart. You know what I'm talking about? But here's a picture. An animal was killed. Perhaps it was a sheep. Wool keeps you warm. But this animal, innocent animal, lost its life to cover or atone for the sins of another person. It's a picture of Jesus Christ, these animal skins that covered their sin. Here, early in the book of Genesis, Jesus is creator, and now he is the one that atones for the sins of people. He's the one that cover them. We'll keep going. Genesis 6, Noah and the great flood. In Genesis 6, the, earth, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness on the earth and saw that everything they thought or imagined was consistently and totally evil. And I tell you, friend, there's a lot of evil in the world today. I, I, I like to watch a lot of TV on TV land. They used to be kind of safe shows. But in between the show, there's a commercial that's as vulgar as anything you've ever seen. It's like, if I wanted to watch filth, I'd watch it. There was a day, I used, uh, we used to could watch movies, and they would edit out. I, I personally, I don't like the F-bomb to be dropped every other, every, other, every other sentence. And they used to edit that kind of stuff out. Well, now they don't edit it out anymore. I wonder why. Why is it that there's such a push to undermine anything having to do with biblical Christianity in the Bible? Is it just possible there's an antichrist spirit at work and people that are in places of power in America, you know, they want those things. They, they, they make more money off clean movies in, in Hollywood. That's not the issue. There's a spiritual agenda that's being pushed. It's like Noah's day, and Jesus also drew a parallel to the future, a future day to Noah's day. Uh, the Lord observed the extent of human wickedness. It was evil. Verse 7, the Lord said, I will wipe this human race I've created from the face of the earth. Now we see the theme of judgment. But verse 18, we see mercy. Noah found favor with the Lord. Why? Verse 9, Noah was a... Interesting. Noah's right. He was the only blameless person living on earth at the time. And what did he do? He walked in close fellowship with God. Now... Here's what we see here. Of course, you know what happened. Noah, for a hundred years, built the ark. It will probably be different than the Noah of Russell Crowe. Russell Crowe is, I understand, a dark figure. He, the movie has themes of, of population control and environmentalism, none of which are in the Bible. Come on now. Don't form your understanding in the Bible of a movie in Hollywood. Otherwise, you'll think uh, Armageddon is Bruce Willis fighting an asteroid, okay? It's not, that's not the way that it works. Hollywood takes a little and then messes it up. But just judgment followed the unrepentant sin and a global flood. God took the righteous people who willingly came into the ark. The, the ark is a picture of Jesus Christ. God shut the door himself. They didn't have a pulley to pull it up. God shut the door and they were saved. Just as today, Jesus Christ said, I am the way, the truth, the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Today you'll understand why, why Christ is, is different. But Jesus is the only means of salvation. The ark was the only means of salvation, and it was just. Uh, this flood in Noah's day, this 40-day flood, was not just rain. 
The Bible also says the depths of the earth were broken up and water came out of the ground. Did you know there's a river running under this church property, Spring Lake Park? There's an underground river that runs under us. These rivers were broken up. And could it be that the reason that there are seashells on tops of mountains are because of Noah's flood, and when the earth broke up, it was like earthquakes and mountains came out of the water? Is it just possible that the continents, divided as they are today, were at one time one large landmass, come on, and were separated because of some of the activities of the flood? Well, it's possible. Is it possible that that's where the dinosaurs went? Now, they'll tell you today it was a giant asteroid. I suggest to you it could well be the hand of God in judgment. Preaching a little better than your amening. But Noah was saved. He got mercy because he walked with God. Let's look at another one in Genesis before we move on. Genesis 19, the destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah. All of us are being asked what we think today about same-sex marriage. We're being told today that homosexual behavior is just like heterosexual behavior. There's no difference. If you disagree, you're a bigot or a homophobe or whatever the case is. Um, there's a portion of Scripture that should be mentioned. Genesis 19. Now, the story is God's favored man on the planet is Abraham. Abraham has a nephew named Lot. Lot lives in a city named Sodom. Well, Sodom's a wicked place. Verse 4 tells us what wickedness is. The men of Sodom, young and old, that's why young people will follow the example of old, they surrounded the house where they were. Now, two angels had been sent to Sodom to rescue Lot. These angels looked like people. They probably looked like me. One of them, you know, older and had a beard, and one of them... Okay, they look like you, all right? They looked exactly like you, angelic. They were just as angelic as you are. Anyway, they show up at the house, and these men shout to Lot in the night, banging on the door, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out so we can have sex with them. And you could read the rest of that, but verse 24, the Lord rained down fire and burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. It's not just an Old Testament theme. Romans chapter 1, go back and read that story and see what God thinks. Now, let me say this. Though in America, many are applauding homosexual uh, marriage and everything else, but the Bible calls the acts sinful. Homosexuals and heterosexuals both have value because we're created in the image of God. Come on. These are not bad people any more than you're a bad person because you do something else. But God will judge the adultery of the heterosexual and the homosexual actions of the homosexual equally. Listen, adultery and fornication are on God's bad list, just like homosexual acts are on God's bad list. But here in the Bible is a clear example that God will judge sexual acts outside of marriage. You're quiet. Let me shift gears here. Uh, let me give you the third one. Now, let me give you the history of God's chosen people. That was Genesis chapters 1 through 11. Now, let me take you from Genesis 12 all the way to the end of the last book of the Old Testament, which is the prophet, uh, what's his name, Malachi. The prophet Malachi. Now, this is the history of God's chosen people. And the Jews were God's chosen people for one reason. It's because God chose them to be the one to whom the Messiah, Jesus Christ, would be born. And this is their story as they wander through the Old Testament. Now, the Old Testament has 39 books in it. The first five are called the Pentateuch or the Law. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Uh, then there are 12 books of history. Uh, books like Joshua, uh, books like uh, Ezra and Nehemiah, 1st and 2nd Kings and Chronicles. They're history books. It's what went on. Uh, there's five books of wisdom and writing. This is where the Proverbs and the Psalms come in. Job, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon. And lastly, 17 books of the prophets. 
Now, they could start with what's called the major or the longest prophet, Isaiah and Jeremiah, and go all the way to the short ones at the end like Haggai and Malachi. Now, this is where it gets confusing because the Bible is not written in chronological order. It would be much easier to understand. If I wanted to understand a historical book, Ezra and Nehemiah, uh, I'd have to go jump ahead 15 books and read the prophets of Haggai and Malachi and Zechariah to see everything that was going on. Their nation was judged by a king, a civil king, and a spiritual leader, a prophet or a priest. And these two would lead the nation in ways that were pleasing to God. But anyway, that's why a good study Bible, you need a good study Bible. It'll help you help things fit together, answer questions. Before I read any book of the Bible, I try to read the introductory material to the book because the book was not written to me. Come on, how many know it was written to a culture many years ago that I can find spiritual truth from? I like the ESV study Bible. It's what I'm using now. Uh, the New Living Translation, New NIV, all of them have great study Bibles. But let me give you a little narrative of the Old Testament. Now, no scriptures here. They'll come in a minute. But let me just kind of paint a picture for you in a few minutes of the whole Old Testament. In Genesis 12, we begin with the story of Abraham. Abraham is relevant because he becomes the father of faith for the whole world. It's through Abraham we learn that you can't be good enough to please God, that we have to be able to believe in Him uh, and trust in Him. And he learned that over a hundred-year period. We learned, and listen to this, that righteousness can't be earned by good works. Righteousness is given to us by faith in Christ. He had a son. His name was Isaac. Isaac had a son named Jacob, and Jacob was a scoundrel like the person sitting next to you today. He was a bit crooked. Anyway, uh, this scoundrel Jacob, uh, he had 12 sons, and these scoundrels were the sons or the, became the 12 tribes of Israel. If you talk about the tribes of Israel, this is where they came from, uh, and they spread out these 12 boys. God led Israel to Egypt during a famine, about 70 people, they were there several hundred years, and they now grew to one to two million people. So I want you to think ahead to the fact and see how God let them get into a difficult place, the famine, so God could show His glory through the Passover and deliverance. It's a picture of what Christ did. Well, you know the story. Moses is there. He's a grown man. He's 80 years old. And now Moses goes to Pharaoh, and Pharaoh sa he says, let my people go. And Pharaoh says, blank, blank, no. It's because they're the ones that built the pyramids. I don't want to lose all this free labor. Nine plagues come in, and then the last plague, it's called the Passover. I'll read a scripture on it later. Well, at that point, there's death all over the land. Pharaoh says, get out of here, and then miracles start happening. Think about this. Two million people going through the wilderness. It would take trainloads of cars to feed them every day, but God supernaturally did it. He gave them water that came from a rock, and one day they end up at a place called Mount Sinai. Mount Sinai is a place where God is meeting with Moses on top of the mountain, and he gives him two main things. He gives him the Ten Commandments, the foundation of Western civilization, and he gives him what's called the law. Now, the law basically is this. The law showed them in the law, the books of Numbers, Leviticus, Deuteronomy. The law teaches them the path of obedience to find blessing. Very key. You'll find blessing by being obedient, but he warned them of judgment for disobedience. But the problem was, you couldn't be perfect all the time, so you needed the sacrificial system to cover the sins of the people. So you had priests and Levites that worked at the temple. They had one temple, 
at a time. That's where the sacrifice took place. And they had many synagogues or teaching centers wherever the Jews would live. Now, after Moses, Joshua comes on the scene. He leads them into the promised land. Uh, it's modern-day Israel and plus more territory. They're then governed by judges like Samson, uh, Jephthah, uh, Samuel, and then kings. Kings like, uh, like uh, Saul and David and Solomon. Now, everything at this point in time is great. It's like the greatest days the country ever knew. But after Solomon, his son came on board. I believe it was Jeroboam or Rehoboam. His son came on board, and then he tried to be a heavy-handed dictator, and he split the nation apart. Now, stay with me on this. So now you've got the northern kingdom, ten tribes, and the southern kingdom, two. And what happens now, there's going to be like a sine wave. These nations under kings, good kings and bad kings, good kings lead the people in the ways of God. God blesses them. They prosper. But all of a sudden, they start going into idolatry. They become pagans. They're sacrificing their children in the fire. God says, shame on you. He judges them, and they get judged, and they say, oh, God, we're sorry we've sinned. God said, okay, I'm merciful. And then they get on the path of blessing again. And most of the Old Testament is just like this, blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing, blessing and cursing. And finally, after six or seven hundred years of this, after Moses' warning, God said, I've had enough. And what God does is first the northern kingdom is taken captive into Assyria, and then the southern kingdom where Jerusalem is in the temple. That are certainly, they're exiled to Babylon. So here we are, we're in captivity, but God's a merciful God. Everybody say mercy. And then what happens? Jeremiah the prophet said, you're only going to be in Babylon 70 years. And he sick a pagan king, and he said, go back and rebuild that temple. So the last portion of the Bible there, the stories of, uh, the stories of Ezra and Nehemiah, the prophets Haggai, Malachi, they're rebuilding God's temple. Now, that's, that's, that's the whole history of the Bible. That's the whole history of the Jewish people in seven or eight minutes. Uh, the prophets now, they speak at different times. The prophets all along are telling the people to straighten up. The prophets are telling them how to behave. The prophets are also talking about the future, about when Jesus would come. Daniel the prophet uh, has a prophecy yet unfulfilled. Daniel prophesied about the Antichrist. Read the ancient book of Daniel is just like reading the book of Revelation today, and you can see in society today how an Antichrist figure could emerge. You could see as America is losing freedom. You could see as America is ceasing to become the world power and all the world is interconnected. And when the financial system goes like that, I'm telling you, friends, your gold, silver, and money are not going to help you because one day the Antichrist is going to emerge. Come on. I'm just telling you, Daniel saw this thousands of years before it was fulfilled. Well, that's the little narrative. Let me give you some pictures of Jesus in the Old Testament beyond what I've given. Abraham showed us how to be righteous before God. You see, those, the people that crucified Christ were Pharisees and Sadducees, and they believed that you could be righteous simply by obeying the law. And they didn't understand that righteousness comes by faith because we cannot keep the law perfectly. Abraham taught us how to be right before God. Galatians 3, 6 said, Abraham believed God, and God counted him as what? Righteous because of his... You remember John three sixteen? For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son that whoever... Whoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. Abraham's responsible for this. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. Stay with me now. You're saved by grace through... It's a gift of God, not by works, lest anybody should boast. Abraham taught us all of that. Moses showed us Jesus in the Passover lamb. Exodus 12, again, we're back with Moses in Egypt. And now it's the tenth plague. 
And then the Lord gave the following instructions to Moses and Aaron. Each family must choose a lamb or a young goat for sacrifice. In verse 12, on the night I'm going to pass through the land of Egypt, I'm going to strike down every firstborn son. Here's judgment in the land of Egypt. I'll execute judgment against all the gods of Egypt, for I am the Lord, which is a way of saying, I make the rules. Verse 13, now listen to this. The blood on your doorpost will serve as a sign. When I see the blood, I will. Here's what they did. They sacrificed that lamb. Why? Because of the sin of the people that produced death. They took some of that lamb and, uh, uh, of the blood and they put it on their doorpost. Some believe it's in the sign of a cross. When judgment came, they were protected on the inside. Do you realize when Jesus was crucified, he was crucified on the Passover? To, to commemorate what had happened in deliverance years ago. And these people that thought righteousness came from the law were crucifying Jesus. And you remember when Jesus was crucified? What did he say? Last words. It is finished. You know, in the Jewish temple, there was what's called a veil that separated the holy place from the most holy place. If you can imagine, there's a thick curtain coming across here, and nobody comes over here, but once a year, the high priest comes, but he comes with some blood shed, and he comes to cover the sins of the people. You see, sin is so serious, it destroys lives. Well, when Jesus was crucified, you read this in the Gospels. You know what happened when he was crucified? That curtain was torn in half from top to bottom. Come on now. It was nobody on a ladder up there trying to tear that thing. God himself, I guess, has had two angels, and they tore it, symbolizing that the price for sin has been paid. Now you can have direct access to God. Come on. You don't need a priest. You don't need an animal every year or periodically. Jesus Christ is the sacrifice that takes away the sins of the world. See, the Bible tells one story. Moses also showed us that the law was in, uh, it, that uh, our inability to keep God's righteous standards, all the laws and commandments. Galatians said the law was our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ, to show us to be justified by faith, which simply means failure is a part of it. That's why we need a Savior, because even if you're Mother Teresa times 10, you cannot be good enough to save yourself. And that's what those books of the law were intended to show. Not earn righteousness, but point you to Christ. King David showed us how to have a relationship with the Lord. He was the greatest king in their history. And here's what the New Testament says. God raised up who? David to be their king, of whom he testified. And here's what the Lord said about this man. I have found in David, say it with me, a man after my heart who will... Do all my will. Didn't Jesus say the greatest commandment in the whole Bible was to love the Lord your God with, come on, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul. David showed us that. Didn't Jesus tell us in the Lord's Prayer to pray, let your kingdom come, let your will be done. In Gethsemane, didn't Jesus say, I came not, uh, uh, nevertheless, not my will, but your will be done. David showed us that, an Old Testament figure. Well, as I'm wrapping up, the prophets had a lot about Jesus the prophets not only spoke about their day, the prophets looked ahead to the future. The prophet Micah said Jesus, the Messiah, would be born in Bethlehem. 700 years earlier, uh, Isaiah said Jesus would be born of a virgin. Daniel saw his second coming. Isaiah saw Jesus crucified for our sins. Zechariah saw him being betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Uh, the psalmist saw him rising from the dead. And my last comment in the Old Testament today, it's by the wisest man, as Scripture says, who ever lived apart from Christ. The wisest man in the Old Testament. I think about that. His name was Solomon.
Now, Solomon was not your average Joe that had a limit on his credit card. Solomon was a king, and he could do whatever he wanted to. He could buy whatever he wanted to. He built uh, cities. He, he, he tried to find happiness through what he built. He had multitudes of women that were in his life. That was not enough for him. Uh, he probably had to take extra Tylenol for that. But anyway, he had all women in his life, uh, education. He did everything under the sun trying to find happiness in life. And after his whole excursion in backsliding, here's what he said. He said, let's hear the conclusion of the whole matter. I want you to say this with me. Fear God and keep His commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. A guy who tried to find happiness in everything. See, we're looking for happiness. I'm looking for the perfect turkey place. Uh, you're looking for the perfect house, uh, the perfect car. Uh, you're looking to be a professional baseball player. You're looking to get so much money so you can live comfortably. You're never going to find it. Solomon already went in front of you and said, look, it's not there. Happiness is found. Purpose is found in fearing God. And here's why. Because he said this, God will bring every work into judgment, including every secret thing, whether it's good or evil. Well, that's my 35-minute presentation on the message of the Old Testament, God's Word to us today. Praise the Lord. Listen, I, I hope you will read the Bible every day. I hope you'll take that 15 minutes a day with God seriously, that you'll take some time to read it, get you a good study Bible. I'll help you if you forget. But read the Bible. But listen, when you read it, let it shape your beliefs. Let it shape your outlook on current events today. Who cares if you're the only person that believes that marriage should be between a man and a woman? Who cares? Who cares? Who cares if you believe that, that, that God was created and everybody else in the class laughs at you that God created man? Who cares? Who cares? See, because the one we want to please is God. I'm going to close with this. After, now, next week, Lord willing, we'll do the whole New Testament. So bring somebody with you. But after the book of Malachi was written, there were 400 years of what's called silence until the next book was written, the Gospels were written. Jesus came on the scene. Now, Malachi ended his book, the prophet, with a prophecy of a man that was going to come in the spirit of Elijah, and his name was John the Baptist. And let me read to you what John the Baptist said about Jesus. It's in John chapter 1, verse 29, and I close with this. The next day, John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him. And he said, Behold the... Now, isn't that interesting? How would you like to be called an animal? How about if I pointed you and said, Hey, turkey, you. Hey, elephant man. Hey, you're, you're a snake. He called him an animal. But you know why. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. See, the only way to deal... This is why other religions don't cut it. Because nobody deals with sin the way Jesus did. And sin is what separates us from God. He takes away the sin of the world. And this is he of whom I said, after me, John the Baptist speaking, who was older in birth than Christ, comes a man who ranks before me because he was before me. In other words, Christ is eternal, eternally God. Notice what he says. I've seen and bore witness that this is the Son of God. The same Son of God in Genesis 1-1 that created the world. The same Son of God that was pictured in Moses' Passover. The same Son of God that was prophesied by the prophet Isaiah. Come on. The same Son of God who came to give His life so we could have eternal life. He's the one that's worthy of our praise because the Bible is 
his story. Give Jesus a big hand today. We love him. You might download this or kind of pick it up again and go over it and let it sink in your mind so as you read through the Bible it makes sense to you. Hey, I'm going to close with an opportunity for prayer. I have found that, that when I speak, my great hope is, is there's always a voice within my voice. There's something that I would say that the Holy Spirit would take and it would use in your life. And I wonder if there's some things that God has talked to you about today that you need to act on. We'll give you a chance to do that in prayer in a moment. But I'd first like to ask if you're here today and what you heard about Jesus Christ is what you need. You need a Savior. You have the same problem that every other person on the planet. It's the problem of sin. So I knew that all my life. I went to church. Mom made me go. But I never knew that the Bible said that I could receive Christ as my Savior. That God did His part when He created me. God did His part when He set in motion to how the earth would be populated through the seed of a man and, and the egg of a woman. God did His part to get me here. God did His part on the cross to make a way for me to go to heaven. But now I've got to do my part, which is make a step to Christ. I've got to acknowledge my sin before God and ask for His forgiveness. But listen, I've got to turn my heart and follow Him. Because it's that following Him that gives evidence to conversion. I wonder if that's what you need today, a Savior. I wonder if what you need today is the very thing that Solomon was looking for, happiness and purpose in life. I'm telling you, it comes through a relationship with Jesus Christ, and it can be found no other way. I wonder if you're here today, if you're like I was many, many years ago as a late teenager, knowing something was missing in life, knowing that what little I knew in my head about God was not enough, but, but God was real, and I wanted Him in my life. Somebody told me how. And I could find God in the place of prayer by coming to God, humbling myself, and asking for His forgiveness, and committing my life to Him, giving Him my life, and following Him as my Savior and Lord. I wonder if that's you today. I wonder if today is the day for your first step to Christ. I wonder if today is a day when you have gotten away from Christ. didn't mean for it to happen. It just kind of did. But today, you want to come back to Christ. Not join our church. This is about you and Jesus right now. I'm just a facilitator. If you'd like to make that step to Christ today, we'd be honored to pray with you. So if you're here and you say, Pastor, I want to get right with God today. I, I, I want to know Jesus as my Savior. I'm ready to get serious about my spiritual life. I need what only He can give. Forgiveness of sin and the offer of eternal life. If that's you and you'd like to follow Christ, I want you to just lift your hand real quickly. Just quickly and boldly say, pray for me, Pastor. I want to give my life to Christ today. Anyone this morning, say, pray for me. God bless you, pal. God bless you. Give him a big hand. Somebody else, pray for me. I want to give my life to Christ. I want to give my life to Christ. I'm tired of living on my own today. I want to put my trust in him. I want to put my trust in him. God bless you, buddy. I'm real proud of you. Come on up. Let us pray for you. We want to give you something. Bring your friend with you. Come on up. Let us pray for you. Give him a big hand. I want some guys to come down here to meet him. Just stand with him just right by the cross over here. Making a step to Jesus. Best step you've ever made. Come on. I need some guys over here standing right over here with him. Come on, fellas. God bless you, man. We're real proud of you. I want everybody else to go ahead and stand up. We're going to have a closing, a closing song. And if there was something in this message that you need to close in prayer with God, I want to invite you to do it now. We're going to sing one song and then we'll be dismissed. But if there's something in this message that the Holy Spirit's touched you about, maybe you're in a relationship you shouldn't be in. Maybe, maybe you've got some real conflict in your mind over some things and you need to turn it over to God. Maybe you hadn't really been a Bible reader and you just want to pray that, that, that God would just help you kind of get on board. I don't know what it may be. But if the Holy Spirit has touched you in some way and you feel a need to respond to God, 
you come, let us pray for you. If you have questions about your spiritual life and thought maybe I should go over there, you come on up and somebody will talk to you. So prayer team, come on up here. We'll pray one last time, sing and go. But our prayer team is coming right now for you. And if you need prayer, I want you to just slip out of your chair and just come right up with them. Let them pray with you. Have a little time to settle this thing with God before we go. They're going to come and pray. Go ahead and sing, Pastor Nick, one last time. I love you. You come, let us pray for you. There's nothing worth